I'm a child of God. Have in my hand powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're my neighbor today. (laughs) As compared to being my neighbor yesterday, I'm glad you're my neighbor today. We had such a good time Wednesday um, with our uh, teenagers. Uh, they uh, kind of overwhelmed the store a little bit. But uh, uh, the very last family, i got to tell you about them, the very last family we helped, we were running out of time. We had to get back to the church. And so I had uh, Corey uh, Duarte walk, up, walk down the aisles and find somebody. <laughs> and he found a family. And they were just standing there. And uh, had gotten a few items, and uh, he went up and he said, "Are you folks about ready to check out?" Well, they immediately said, "Well, we're not stealing anything." So <laughs> they said, "No, we're actually counting pennies to see if we can <clears throat> buy diapers for our baby." Corey said, "I've got great news for you." He said, "Not only are we going to cover your diapers, but we're going to cover everything in your basket." The husband was Spanish, and his dad was with him, so he turned and said something to his dad, and all of a sudden, two big old bags of Doritos come down and go to the basket. <laughs> so, so it worked out great. We were able to help a family. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, we not only uh, blessed others, but two families turned around and blessed us, so we can bless some more. And that's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Reach out and do a blessing, and somebody else is going to bless you. And that's what it's all about. So we're in our series, Neighbors. What is love? Well, last week, today, how do I love? We're going to be looking at Galatians 5. So those Bibles that you held up, would you open to Galatians 5 and verses 16 through 25? We'll look at those in just a few moments. Jesus spoke of there being two possible paths in life. He spoke that specifically in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, 13 and 14, he said there's one path that leads to life, there's another path that leads to death. He called it the broad way and the narrow way, and many will choose the broad way to go. He makes it crystal clear that when we enter the narrow way, we're saved by grace. And that narrow path will lead us to heaven. While those who remain on that broad path are headed to hell. But as Christians, we can never enter into death, according to John 5.24, but we find ourselves walking on the wrong path at times. Any of you understand what I'm saying? We'll be on the narrow, but we'll see something that causes us to go to the broad, and then we catch on and repent and we come back. The key is repenting and coming back. Don't stay over there. Come back. If you believe that becoming a Christian means that you cease to sin, well, then you're in for a rude awakening. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, you're calling God a liar if you say you have no sin. Now, I'm not into calling God a liar. I hear people calling God a lot of things. But I don't want to call God a liar. How about you? I'd uh, be interesting to see what he's got to say. (laughs) 
We have literally passed from death to life, as the Bible says. A dead, ineffective, and fruitless spiritual life will always be the result of walking the wrong path. Have you discovered in your life so far, in your journey in the Lord so far, that there are times when God is blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life, and then for some reason we begin to see those blessings leaving us? We begin to have more struggles. We begin to, and it could it be that we've strayed from the narrow path and are finding ourselves on that broad path? Well, I'd say yes. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it abundantly. We're supposed to have abundant life every day. We're supposed to get up every day and be able to have the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? I heard a guy preach a sermon years ago called How to Keep the Elephants Off Your Air Hose. And he was using the illustration. Remember the old gas station when you pull in, you'd roll over the air hose and ding, 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 ring the bell? Sometimes if you'd stay on top of that, it would just ring continually. Well, he's, he'd use that as an illustration of how Satan will step on your air hose and cut off your supply. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't let him cut off your air supply. So I want to look at some verses this morning there in Galatians 5. And want us to see how do we love our neighbors. Now, first of all, let's start by understanding one thing. Not all neighbors are lovable. Oh. <laughs> we didn't have to have an amen to that one. It just just a, a brief nod. Some of them are, and, and what you hope is, they're not in the church raising their hand saying amen about us. You see, neighbors sometimes are not easy to get along with. But we've got to learn how to love them, and I'm going to show you how to do that. The path, the path is a spiritual disaster if we go the path of the broad path. It will lead us to destruction. In verse 17, in verse 17 of, of our uh, text, and I apologize, I should have had that already up here ready to go, but let me, let me get that real fast here. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Parallel to that is what's taught in Romans 7, where Paul says, The thing I want to do is the thing I don't do. And the thing I want to do, I don't want to do, is what I find myself doing. Calls himself a wretched man. So there's times when we want to do what the Lord has called us to do, but we find the flesh, as it says in verse 17, is opposed to the Spirit. There's this war going on inside of us. I don't want to, I do want to. I don't want to, I do want to. Cindy and I celebrated our anniversary last night. I went to the melting pot. 
I've only been there a couple of times. And I know why I've only been there a couple of times. You know, they talk like they're going to bring out steak, chicken, shrimp, and they do. But it's a piece of this and a piece of that and a piece of this and a piece of that. But what the best part was is when they brought the chocolate at the end. Man, oh man, that was not sugar-free chocolate. The first bite I took, hmm, she brought it out, poured it in the little pot, and then set it on fire. I thought, Lord, have mercy, take me back to heaven now. I've never dipped Rice Krispies in chocolate. It was pretty good. A... What was what was the other thing? Cinnamon covered marshmallow. Anything tastes good with chocolate all over it. Okay? I had a big old chocolate drop right on my shirt. Man, it was awesome. I was licking it off too. Because you see, there's a war going on. You know, you I've chronicled my battle with food in front of you for a long time. You've got yours. I've got mine. We've all got them. You fill in the blank with what yours is. The flesh seeks to hinder prayer, hinder study, hinder witnessing, hinder faithfulness, hinder obedience. The Christian life, it's really not a place to play around. It's not a playground where we have fun. It's a battle. It's a battlefield. That's what Ephesians 6 teaches us. It is a battlefield. Now let's look at verses 19 through the first part of verse 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings. It's a pretty hefty list, isn't it? Because what these verses also reveal to us, and if we're walking down the broad path, the flesh is going to be open to any sin, and he just listed them. Paul just listed them. We are capable of anything that can be imagined and much more than we ever hope or ask. It's amazing what this mind will think of. I cannot fathom a mother, remember a few years ago and not too long ago, where a mom, uh, she took her kids in a car and drove them off into a lake and killed them. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom a Muslim father in New Jersey shooting his daughter dead because she disobeyed him. Welcome to Sharia law. Coming to a city near you. Oh, preacher, that will never happen. What did you say would never happen in life? (laughs) That's happening all the time. The flesh is capable of anything without exception, and we must be vigilant. Now, let's look at the second part of verse 21. Envying, drunkenness, grousing, and these, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, 
that those who practice such things, what does your Bible say? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. You practice that stuff, you're not going to heaven. It's as simple. I know people who say they are Christians who practice these things. Would you say amen? Do you know somebody like that? I'm not saying point fingers. (laughs) I know somebody that acts this way. I look at him in the mirror every now and then. You see, saints will face the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord will chastise them. The great secret that Satan wants to hide is that he's masquerading as an angel of light to lead the elect, the very elect astray. And he hides through sin. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't participate. That's true. I'm telling you, sin is a ball, man. It's the best part of life is sin, 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 sin. They've built a whole city in Nevada called Sin City. And have you ever been there? Yeah, whoa, look at those hands not go up. Okay, yeah, all right. I've been there. The Bible says if your right eye offend thee, cover it up. So I walk around Las Vegas with my right eye covered up all the time. Because I can't have it offending me. Actually, it says pluck it out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm taking liberties with Scripture like most of us do. Amen. See, the eye gets you in trouble all the time. And to prevent you from getting the wrong idea, God is not saying that a slip in any of these areas will prevent you from getting into heaven. The verb do in these verses indicate an ongoing lifestyle. It's not a slip up. It's not an every now and then. It's not being on the broad path, repenting and coming back to the narrow path. We do that all the time. But it's going over there and staying over there. That's where the problem lies. Because then you don't care about the narrow path. You don't care about the things of God anymore. And there's a heavy price to pay. But things that we do that we shouldn't be doing, we need to be looking past and getting back to the narrow way. 1 John 1.9 is the greatest path back to the narrow path. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad the word all is in there. See, because God is an all-encompassing God. He can take every sin I've got and take care of it for me. Oh, praise God. Now let's talk about broad path. Let's talk about that narrow path. That path of spiritual joy. Look with me back in uh, Galatians 5, but uh, let's look at uh, verse 16. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So if we're going to avoid sin, if we're going to stay on the narrow path and not get to the broad path, then we do it by walking in the Spirit. Because the Spirit gives us victory over our lusts in our life. I can say no to sin. You can say no to sin. 
Fill in the blank. Whatever the sin is that you need to say no to, you have the capacity to say no to it. Is it anger? You might be mad at somebody. And for every minute you're mad at them, angry at them, you've lost a minute of joy in your life. Don't let them have it. Life is way too short to let them have it. Don't let them steal that from you. Don't let the elephant bit on your air hose. <laughs> That's a great visual picture, by the way. To walk in the Spirit means to surrender to the Spirit. We will be led by either our flesh or by the Holy Spirit. Which one wins depends on which one is yielded to the most. You see the temptation, just don't yield to it. Just don't yield to it. You don't have to have it. You do not have to have it. The Spirit will defeat the flesh if we allow Him to. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. you got this, folks. You've got the victory. You can have the joy of the Lord because, man, you've got the victory in your life. Well, these temptations keep coming. So what? Throw them off. Every weight that encumbers you and holds you down, throw it off. Because Jesus is taking care of it at Calvary. It's all taken care of. Relax. Take a deep breath. Well, you're going to still struggle. Every day. Every day. In fact, if you're not struggling, that's when you should get worried. I heard an old black preacher one time say, if I, if I don't feel the flames of hell lapping at the heels of my feet every day of my life, I'm too close to Satan and not close enough to God. Well, truth to that. We need to avoid places, people, things, images, music, anything that brings temptation to us. If we mess around with it, we'll eventually give in to it. Now let's look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the Spirit gives us victory over the law. We're still commanded by God's law of the world, but no longer condemned by it. This verse, verse 18, declares the truth that the law was made for those who walk after the flesh. The law was there to get your attention. Why do you have stop signs? Wouldn't it be a mess if we didn't have stop signs and stop lights? I guess some, it doesn't matter if you drive in some countries. <laughs> they, they act like they don't have them anyway. They're on the wrong side of the street and on the wrong side of the car. It's just wrong. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. The law serves no purpose in our lives except to stop us. It should stop us. Make, make a hesitant, a hesitation in us. To be hesitant. We automatically have a desire to fulfill the law of God. It's written in our heart according to 1 Timothy 1.9. For the saint... The law of God is not a, con a condition to be met for salvation, but it's an obedience that is an indicator of our love for Christ. When you're obedient, it shows that you love Christ. When you're disobedient, it shows that you don't care. That particular moment, you don't care. You see how this battle is every day, every moment, every day, every day, every day, every day, every moment, every moment, every moment of every day. It's a battle. It's a constant battle. But here's the great news. You've already won... The judgment is removed when we live and when we walk in the Spirit-led life. You do it. You can say no. 
and yes to God. The Spirit gives us victory. How does He do it? Look at verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The Spirit gives us victory. The flesh produces works. It's a life of labor. It's an active issue. The Spirit produces fruit. And if we're not producing, then we're not growing, then we're not effective for God. Fruit is a natural result of abiding in the vine, according to John 15. The fruit never branch. The fruit never branches, never struggles to fulfill it, to produce its fruit and fulfill its role. It abides in the vine and allows the life of the vine to flow through it, and the fruit becomes an automatic growth process on the end of that. So, if we're connected to Christ, He's going to flow through us. He can't help but flow through us. Unless we stop Him. Unless we stop Him. The Spirit will always produce fruit. The Spirit will always produce fruit. And the nine qualities or traits that I read are the what we need to do and how to love, how to love our neighbors. Let's look at them. First one was love. We've got to love. We've got to love God. We've got to love man. Most of our languages, French, Italian, Latin, and German, all conjugate, I can't say the word, they're verbs the same way. First person I am, second person you are, third person he is. So we would say, I love you, you love, he loves. The Hebrew, however, has a different approach. It's totally opposite. Their verbs are conjugated this way. First person he is, second person, you are, third person, I am. So this is the way Jesus taught us to love. He's to be first, my neighbor's to be second, and I'm to be third. We've done it with the acrostic joy, haven't we? Jesus, others, and yourself. That's right. You put Jesus first, then you love others, and then you, then you work on you. Second, he says, is joy. Having constant delight in the Lord. Constant delight in the Lord. Somebody says something to you that would get you upset? Don't let it. Somebody does something to get you upset? Don't let it. No, just walk away. Sometimes you just got to walk away, don't you? You know what? I'm fixing to get mad. No, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to walk away. But what if they destroy something? Oh, well. But what if they hurt somebody? I, but at that moment, I've got to get control of me. I'm not going to give them the opportunity to get in under my skin. But it's hard. Oh my goodness, it's hard. A Hindu, a Hindu trader in India once asked a missionary, what do you put on your face to make it shine? And with surprise, the man of God said, I don't put anything on it. So, 
the trader, Hindu trader question again, began to lose his patience. He said, yes, you do. All of you who believe in Jesus seem to have it. I've seen it in the towns of Agra and Surat and even in the city of Bombay. Suddenly the Christian understood and his face glowed even more when he said, Now I know what you mean and I will tell you the secret. It's not something we put on from the outside, but something that comes from within. It's the reflection of the light of God in our hearts. Hey, Amen. There you go. Number three is peace. When the Spirit rules our lives, we will experience peace in three areas of life. With God, with others, and with ourselves. Next one is long-suffering. Willing to accept and bear injury. Number five, gentleness. A sweetness of attitude. Easy to get along with. Easy to please. Not always griping and complaining, but being ever so kind and sweet. Gentleness is merely the attitude of kindness. Next is goodness. A willingness to do good and to help others. Literally nothing but Christian love in action. The faces of the people in the store when we said, would you let us buy your stuff for you? Their face was amazing. They first of all didn't believe it. The cashier Man, she got into it fast. She looked at them and said, Hey, it's real, man. They are here to cover things. And when I thanked her at the end for letting us come, she goes, Oh, no, 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 no. Let me thank you for letting me be a part of this. Hey, I think we did something good, don't you? Faith. Next one's faith. The ability to trust in God and to be trusted by God and, and, and man. Every child of God should be faithful. Faithful to God. Not because of the preacher says so, but out of the love for the Lord. Lewis Laws became warden of the Sing Sing prison in 1920. The inmates existed in wretched conditions. It led him to introduce humanitarian reforms. He gave much of the credit to his wife, Catherine, who always treated the prisoners as human beings. She would often take their three children and sit with the gangsters and the murderers and the racketeers while they played basketball and baseball. Then in 1937, Catherine was killed in a car accident, and the next day her body lay in a casket in a house about a quarter mile from the prison. And when the acting warden found hundreds of prisoners crowding, crowded around the main entrance, he knew what they wanted. And opening the gate, he said, Men, I'm going to trust you. You can go to the house. No count taken, no guards posted, yet not one man was missing that night. Love for one who had loved them made them dependable. Christ loved us while we were yet still sinners and died for us. Next is meekness or restraint. Power under control. Not using one's power in the Lord for evil or for revenge. The meek Christian does not throw his weight around. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus was meek. Moses was very meek. Yet neither of these men would be considered weak in manly terms. And then lastly is temperance or self-control. And that's refusing to do those things you have in your power to do. It's an attitude that in life, 
when you search and it's made to submit to the will of God and in Christ Jesus, all weights and hindrances laid aside, sins dealt with, it's the opposite of the majority of the way people live. It's been sad to watch our political process this year. Sad on both sides of the aisle. There is no hope for this country except through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only hope. You can't legislate it. You can't vote it. You can't demand it. But you can sure live it. And I'm praying for one day that from the top down, like in Nineveh, the the highest leader of the land will fall on his knees and call out to Almighty God. Then we'll see something happen. Then we'll see something happen. Most people feel that they're allowed to live as they want to. But it's really the opposite. It's true. Every child of God is commanded to give his life as a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Things can never be truly counterfeited by an unbeliever. It's absolutely impossible for an unsaved person to possess all the fruit of the Spirit. You see, these aren't fruits, plural. They are fruit, singular. You don't don't get one and then another. God expects them to be present all the time. So how do you love your neighbor? By practicing those nine characteristics in Galatians 5. Judge your life by the results it's bringing to pass. Are you bearing fruit to the glory of the Lord? Are you producing the works of the flesh? Regardless of the answer that you may give, you can begin right now being the Christian that God wants you to be. All you've got to do is abide in Him. That's what He says. That's all you've got to do is abide in God. Stand for Him. Walk for Him. Live for Him. Love for Him. Have the joy of the Lord flowing through you. Don't let little things in life trip you up. Boy, I I get tripped up that way. Somebody will say something and somehow it gets internalized and it gets hold of me before I get hold of it. Any of you ever have that happen to you? Man. But praise God, though I might have stumbled onto the broad path, I can claim a victory through Christ and come back to the narrow road. Amen. Father, I ask you this morning to touch those that are here. Help them to understand that your love for them is tremendous. You love them with an everlasting love, and you love them in a way that you want to spend forever with them. God, I'm praying that you will continue to work in each of our lives, that we'll become more day by day of what your son Jesus looks like. God, maybe there's somebody here today that's kind of realizes they've strayed over to the other side. Would you give them the courage to repent and come back to the narrow way? Begin to live the life that you've called them to. Perhaps they're angry. Perhaps they're frustrated. Perhaps they are lost. Would you send a brother or sister to help guide them back? Maybe there's somebody here that just one person has never named you as their Savior. What a great day it would be to do that. Father, if there's a decision to be made, would they make it today? In Jesus we pray. Amen. Great song, Jesus.